0: All right, um, welcome everyone. So I we're starting a series, I don't know, it's probably six weeks maybe, um, today. I'm going to be... Um, Today's going to be more of a a really long more introduction and then will there'll be different weeks where we're in different passages of the Bible. We won't necessarily be in a specific text uh, today, but we will be looking at some different things. And so the name of our series is going to be Flourish and um, kind of we'll begin to understand why kind of named it that. This is kind of what was going on in my mind. I'm just going to like shoot straight with you guys. So I'm sitting here going like every year, right, culture says that we need to, like, make these resolutions, right? And so, but, or maybe we don't even wait till January. Like, we, we set up, we, we go about our lives, and we realize, like, man, um, things need to change. What, what's going on is that I'm, as I'm processing this, we determine there's things in our lives that we like, that we don't like, things that we want to see change, things we want to improve on, things we want to have, you know, maybe, um, that just maybe the, there's elements that we see in our own personal life that causes a disconnect or, or something like that, right? These are things we don't like. They're things that we want to change. And the reason why I think that those pop up is because of how they make us feel, right? There's elements about our actions or our behaviors or how we th- our thought processes or whatever it may be that causes, uh, maybe it makes us feel guilty, right? Maybe there's things that we do we're like, man, there's, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I, I, I didn't function this way. Maybe it's shame. Right, like we do things when, like, shame is really taking on that. Like, I am this way. Why am I this way? Why do I? Why am I this kind of person? Um, maybe it causes sadness. Right, I just I'm bummed. I wish I could be better at this. And and um, maybe it causes fear. Um, at the end of the day, I think for anything, it's a dissatisfaction that that emanates from our soul, and we're like, man, I if I could only improve this, if I could only change this thing, then I would be okay. And so it's always at the forefront, I think, when the new year begins. And so what happens, right? So we see these things. We go, well, I need to change this. I don't like how I feel. I don't like how this makes me whatever. And so we get motivated. That's the motivation aspect. We're like, I'm going to change. I'm either going to remove this thing or I'm going to add this thing or I'm going to renovate this aspect of my life. And so the determination sets in. And so then what do we do? We make the resolution. This is what I'm going to do. These are the steps that I'm going to take to make the change. And so I'm going to try to change this or modify this behavior or or change my behavior here. Um, And so we attempt to put the work in, right? We determine to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But how do we have lasting change? That's the question that's been rattling around in my head. How do we have lasting change? How How has God designed us? to have change that lasts, that it's a change from the inside out. And so as I'm processing this, all of these passages are popping up in Scripture of, of just the, the metaphor of plants, right? Like one of the most famous Scriptures on the idea that human beings are kind of like a, a plant is Psalms 1 one through 3. I'll just read it. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the, seat, the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its seed in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And so we have this metaphor throughout Scripture, right? We even have the idea of, if you're a follower of Jesus, we see in the New Testament, like we need to bear fruit, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. It is throughout Scripture, this idea that we're, trees or that were plants. And I was thinking about the idea of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but it's in the book of Galatians, New Testament, 522. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I was thinking about those things. I don't think anybody in this room doesn't want those. I mean, like, no, I don't want joy. No, I Peace is the worst, right? Like, we all want it, right? I want self control. I want goodness. Like, nobody here is gonna be like, no way. And I was as a processing, I'm going, man, those are the things that we're actually pursuing, right? When we maybe uh, for somebody like, I'm gonna pursue money or success or power. What are we pursuing? Ultimately, we want peace, maybe. Or maybe we want to experience um, goodness. Or we want these, these things to per, that we're pursuing, maybe it's joy. Like, if I, if I had these things, I'd have joy. Maybe all of the effort, if maybe that's put into, like, physical, like, improving ourselves, whatever. Maybe that's, we're wanting to experience the goodness that we were created as human beings. We're wanting to maybe think that if we look that way or change that way, we'll be, we'll, be, um, we'll experience love, we'll be loved. Or maybe these efforts we're pursuing and getting discipline is to, that we produce self-control. Now, My point is is that what we're pursuing is really, really good, but all the things we're hoping to achieve to get there, I don't think actually gets us there. Like That's the big idea. It's like, I don't know all the effort I put in and all the work I put in is gonna bring me joy. It might produce, I might be successful for a minute, but it's not, maybe not gonna produce joy, right? It's maybe not produce peace. So how then do we attain the fruit of the Spirit? How do we attain the things that we're hoping to accomplish? Because these are fruits. They're not tasks. Peace, joy, self-control, these are a result of healthy spiritual growth. Just like fruit on a tree is a result, it's a byproduct of a healthy plant or tree, fruit, same thing it is with human beings. That as we grow and become more healthy as, as spiritual beings, not just physical beings, we will see this fruit come into our life. So here's the idea. We all want more fruit, I would say. I, I don't want to speak for you, but if you don't want peace or joy or patience or kindness, whatever those things are, like, man, I'm sorry. But I think we all would agree for the most of it we want that. The question then, maybe some better questions are, are, well, how do we become more and more healthy like a healthy tree? And how do we grow in health and bear more fruit? And so as I was starting through this process, the thing that I wanted to start with and what we're going to look at today is, what are we planted in? What are we planted in, right? And I'm not saying this, this is not me going like, this is what the Bible, this is is what planted in means, right? I'm just like, it seems to me that what we're planted in is our beliefs and our thoughts. Our beliefs and our thoughts. We're going to start with these two elements this week and next week. And then we're going to move on to being rooted and grounded and cultivation and things that help us grow. But, but what we're planted and what we believe about God, about the world, about ourselves, and what we think about and what we process and what we let our mind wrestle with gives us the foundation, whether it's a good foundation or a bad foundation, that causes or produces health or unhealth. And so we need to start with what we believe about God, ourselves, and others because this influences how we think and how we see the world and how we function within it. And so, um, like I said, next week we'll look at our thoughts. This week we're going to look at beliefs. And so it starts off with, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about God? Everyone in this room believes something about God. May it be about the God of the Bible. May it not be about the God of the Bible. May it believe that what you believe about God is there is no God. That might be, we all believe something about God. Now, often, not always, but often, our understanding of God is formulated and really um, established by our experiences growing up. Whether we really realize it or not, right? What I mean by that is, um, if you experienced a household where maybe your parents were very harsh or you felt like you couldn't do anything right or you felt like you were never good enough or that you could never do enough then you might see god in a similar light you might believe that that's how god sees you right you don't even realize that's a thing but that like man why am i always striving because i feel like i never can do enough it's how maybe we see god or maybe um, these aspects of, of your life really changes how you see God, and, and we begin to believe things about God that necessarily aren't true. Which are, at the end of the day, they're lies. Maybe they're not lies that you've started, but they're things that have sunk into your soul that you don't even realize. Some of these lies I was processing um, from conversations I've had with people, and that is um, one of the lies I hear are kind of hear a lot is that God does not care about me. That God is always disappointed in me. And that there's this disconnect relationally between God and me. Another one that, I, that comes up quite a bit is that, um, that I'm in this constant test. God is always evaluating me to make sure or to see if I'm worthy enough, to see if I'm strong enough, that I feel my whole life is me under the microscope where God is examining everything and seeing if I'm worthy enough or if I'm good enough or if I deserve anything. Another lie that I see is that God's love, his blessings are earned. That's after all I can do. That I have to earn God's love. I have to maintain God's love and affection. That if I'm not doing certain things like God isn't, God is like his blessing and his care for me is all about my performance. Another one that pops up a little bit is that God is angry with me. God is just waiting for me to mess up to that point when he's going to finally strike me down." If you believe those things, you're in good company, because a lot of people in this room have at one time or still do feel those same things, but those aren't true. That's not the God of the Bible. And I apologize if Christians or other people have told you that's how God is. But I, I can you can already see the connection maybe that if that's how I believe, I'm going to function about, if I believe that about God, I'm going to function that way. I'm going to function like, man, if I, if I don't do the right thing, if I don't say the right thing, like, am, you know, or maybe you're just like, you know what, if that's God, I want nothing to do with the guy. He seems terrible. And I, I agree with you. If that's how God is, have nothing to do with him. Because that is not good news. You know what I'm saying? So what is God? Like, how, how, how can we understand God? Listen, I could spend, you know, if you want to get the full thing about God and, and all of the aspects, if you go to our His Story series, series number one, talks a lot about it. But the big elements about God's character that I want to touch on today, right? We can go and have weeks-long discussion about God and who is he and what he's done. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. But there's some character aspects about God that I want to inject, some truths about God to combat the lies that we can understand. The first thing that we need to understand about God is how he defines himself and that God says, I am love. God is love. God is love. And we've talked a lot about that in past times, but that comes out of 1 John 4, 8, and it says, God is love. And the reason why that's important is we have to understand that God is love and that love only exists in relationship. We spent time talking about how Father, Son, and Spirit have existed in relationship for all of time. If you get time this week, there's a really cool icon that um, I have brought up before. It's by the Russian painter Andre Rubley. I was reminded of it as I was at... Um, Paul and Colleen's house last week. But it's a really cool picture. It's, it's not like theologically, I say, fully accurate. You know, like these beings have wings. But it's this picture of, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at a table. And they kind of look like angels. And they're like enjoying a meal. And, and their motions are this very much like preferring one another. And the cool part about this icon, they say, is that as it was in on a wall, and as the viewer was looking at it, there's, you see, there's a table, right, on this, in this picture. There was a mirror, And the idea was, is that as you're looking at this picture of of God, right, of the Trinity, like in this very relational context, as you're looking at it, you would see yourself in the mirror, and, and that was the purpose of the mirror, is that you're invited to the table. You're invited to the table to participate and to interact with God in this very relational way. God has opened up the table, and he's invited us in to be in relationship with him. To share the love that he has with us. That God is deeply and passionately, uh, he loves you. He absolutely loves you. Like right now, in this moment, he loves you. Whether you believe in him or not, he loves you. And with that, reason why that's important to understand is if I don't trust that God loves me in this moment, then what will happen, especially if I believe in God, or, or, or I will be constantly trying to earn it. My motivations will be, that if I don't do this, then will God love me any more, or any less. I'm, I'm constantly trying to run to earn God's favor, earn God's love. Another aspect of God's character that it's good for us to know is that God is good. God is the definer of good, and God is good. God is the one that defines it, and he is the one that is it, right? And what the Bible tells us is that God gives us good things. That he is good, and he wants to give us good things. He wants to be the one that satisfies. And the reason why that's important is if I don't trust that God is good, then what will happen is I will look elsewhere for satisfaction. I will be pursuing other things, going like, man, if, this, if I can have that then, I'll be satisfied. Another one is that God is great. What that means is that God is in control, that God is powerful enough, he's great enough to rule the world and guide us and direct us and all of these other things. That he's so great that we can trust him with our life, that we can trust him with the life of our kids or our family. That is scary, and I know that. I know that's a scary thing to, to like actually function in, that God is great enough to take care of our family to take care of myself but the reason why that's something we that an element that we need to believe about God if we're wanting to grow is that if we don't trust that God is great then what happens is i take control of my life and i try to do what's best like what i think is best all the time right like, I, I want to have control, and I, I put up parameters when I feel out of control. I do all these things, right? And it's not saying we just sit back and don't do anything. And I'm not saying, like, just, Lord, do whatever you want. I'm just going to sit here on the couch, right? Like, but the idea is, and I think we, we can probably tell the difference, is if I'm not trusting that God is in control, I'm going to take hold of it. And if you're anything like me, I make it worse, okay? I don't make things better, typically. I kind of screw things up a little bit. Another one is that God is glorious. What does that mean? That God is amazing. That God is awesome. And this awesome, great, amazing God looks at you and wants to have a relationship with you. That he is amazing. And the idea is that he views you with love. And hopefully that's enough. Because what happens is if I don't believe that God is glorious, then... What I am trying to do is I let the fear of what people think of me rule a lot of times my life, or I let my view of what I think uh, other people are, or how they see me, it's this idea of I feel like I'm constantly performing, I'm constantly performing, I'm constantly pretending maybe, or performing, maybe it's not pretend, like I'm pursuing, like I want want these people, like how they see me to be. It's the most important thing. God's, God looks and he's like, you're my child. I love you. There's so much freedom that comes with operating at a space of fullness, you know, in our identity and how we see things. Another one is that God is gracious. What does that mean? That God is given grace. That you, if you're, uh, uh, that God offers forgiveness of our mistakes and of our sin. That God offers to make us acceptable that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be acceptable and worthy before God, and if I don't trust that, that what happens, I'm always trying to prove myself to God and to others. I'm always trying to earn or work off and earn favor and acceptance. I'm trying to work off my mistakes. That is an exhausting way to live. And so hopefully you can kind of see, as we just kind of briefly went through these things, that what we believe about God directly affects our motives and our actions. Which leads, leads to, you know, these are truths about God, truths about me. What do I believe about me? And this is where it gets far more, uh, it's just not black and white, right? There's a lot more gray when it comes to this. To better understand what makes us tick, though, we need to understand why things are the way that they are and how God originally designed this. And I know that for many of you that come every week, this is going to be like, man, you always go back to Genesis. I know. But it's through the story of God that we see the big picture, right? I will be very brief, but this is important for us to understand that God designed the world to be a certain way and it's not that way right now. And that's where a large, large part of the disconnect gets. That things aren't the way that God designed and we want it to be. We want it to be. God In his goodness, this great God creates the world, the universe, and everything in it. And God, in that moment, is declaring good. He's saying, this is good, and this is good, and that's good. I made the trees, and that's good. I made the, this is good. This is good. And then he makes human beings. And he says, this is very good. Humans, the crown of God's achievement. And he gives human beings a unique description that he gives nothing else. No monkeys, no fish, no nothing. He says, you are made in my image. We're image bearers of God. Now, image means several different things. One, it's the idea of representation. That we're reflecting God to each other, to the rest of the world, to creation. We're reflecting God. We're representing God. This, the reason why this is important is this is our original identity. This is who We are at our core, according to God's original design, that we would image him. That also gave us our purpose. Purpose is one of the most important things for humans ever. If we don't have purpose, if you don't have purpose, you're going to feel aimless. You're going to feel devalued, all of these things. So God makes human beings with identity and purpose as image bearers. But with the idea of, of being an image bearer, it came with a responsibility. The responsibility was this, that we would care for God's world. Image God in the meantime that we'd care for God's world, that God's intention was that humans would be a reminder to the rest of the world that God is king, that God is is ruling, and we're ruling under him, and that we're going, this is how God designed the world to function, and we're going to function this way. That communicated something about God as we cared for his world. The idea that we are functioning in a space where where God has defined what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, and we're following in that space. Which leads to the question, and I've asked this question before, well, how are humans, when he made humans, how are they to know how to image him? How are they to know how to have the responsibility and rule the world and function in a way that's helpful and causes flourishing and causes goodness? How would they know? And that leads to the third aspect of image, and that is relationship. Is that God had a relationship with human beings. He invited them into a relationship. The Bible tells that he walked with humans in the garden. And it was during this, as they're knowing God and interacting with God, they're able to know how to image him and what does he look like and how does he function and how is his world designed. And we function in that space. And so we have this world and it's good and everybody's, we're good and perfect and purpose. Humans had unlimited access to God. We were perfect in that we were right with God, we were fully acceptable, we were perfect in relationship with him and ourselves right? Adam and Eve were, were just killing it in relationship. But also we had purpose that we were imaging God while being in a relationship with him. And so we as humans essentially were planted in the garden. We were loved. We were known. We were seen. We were acceptable. We had purpose. We had identity. We were in relationship with God. We had no pain. There was no suffering. There was no death. There was no shame. We didn't need anything. We were lacking nothing. Doesn't that sound good? It's what we all want, right? Yet in this perfect state, humans were not satisfied. They believed lies, and they rebelled against God. I don't know why. I don't know how. I think all of us were like, if I was there, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know, right? But anyway, they did, and the world broke. God's world was corrupted. The garden was broken. His presence was hindered. The relationship was severed. And us, as image bearers of God, were distorted. And what ended up happening is we started deciding what was good and evil. We decided, like, this is good and not that. We started defining and ruling in our own way. We were corrupted from what we were designed. And this affected our beliefs, this affected our thoughts, and this affected our actions. This is how we got there. And we've been pursuing. What's crazy, though, if you look at where that we started, we have been pursuing to get back to the garden ever since. That's what we want. I, I feel like I'm speaking in generalities, but I don't know of any person like, no, I don't want to be loved. I don't want to be known. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be right. I don't want to have, I want pain. I want suffering. Like m- most people are going to be like, no, I don't want those things. And God doesn't want those things either. So w- with that, we lost our identity and we lost our purpose in a lot of ways. It was definitely distorted. And so that leads to the idea of identity, like, well, who am I, right? That's the question that rattles around from a time kids are like five years old on cartoons to whatever else, like we're trying to find out who we are and what's our purpose. Now, I'm going to speak in generalities here. It's not, it's not like this is how it is always, but I would say that for most people, our identity is a determined, like who am I, is determined by two main things. One, Perception. And the other one, action. And what I mean by that is many people find their identity in how they see themselves and how others, or how others see them, or a little bit of both, right? So this person sees me as, you know, maybe it's as a small kid, like my parents see me as the good kid. I never make any mistakes. So I'm going to function that way. That's who I am. I am the good kid. I am the, the great kid. I do all the things right. And so I'm going to function that way even when I'm not doing well. I'm going to be like, I'm the good person, I'm gonna do this, right? Or maybe, in a, on the flip side, like, well, I've been treated like garbage, they see me as garbage, I'm gonna function as garbage, right, I'm gonna, I don't have value, I'm worthless, I'm gonna, I, I, there's no point in me taking care or, or protecting myself. And so, we might find our identity in how someone sees us or how we see ourselves. The other one, and I think this is pretty common, is I am what I do, our actions, right? What I do is what I am. So I'm going to do these things. I'm doing all these good things. Maybe this is therefore I'm a good person, right? Um, I think for men, it's a little bit easier. We we find it in our career, right? Like if you ask, if any dudes meet each other, like they'd be like, hi, my name's Cody. You are? Cool. What do you do? First thing. It's like almost always the first question we ask. We're not like, hey, do you have kids? Are you married? No. (laughs) What do you do? Why? Because that's like this idea of like, this is who I am. This is where I have value. This is where I contribute to the world. This is where I find my purpose. What do I do? Some people find their identity in what they, um, what they don't do. Well, I at mean, least I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't, that gives me value. That gives me worth. The idea is we're trying to find value and worth in the world. In what I do or who I am or whatever the else is. This is where I find my purpose. This is where I find my value. This is where I find my worth. Or on the opposite of that, people go, this is where they feel devalued. This is where they feel they have no um, dignity, where they feel worthless, they feel without purpose. Whatever the case is, this is an identity that we function under. And if our identity is skewed, if our identity isn't based on truth, if our identity isn't based on how God declares us, then it's gonna affect how we function. It's gonna affect how we think. It's gonna affect how we, what we believe right? And so we might pursue all these improvements, but if we're functioning out of a broken identity, then the fruit we're going to have may not be the fruit you're looking for. It may, we may never feel like we reach anything. So what we do and where we draw our identity and how we, are feel, we feel valuable, worth, or all these things, these things we end up imaging. We image the things that we find value in it, and and that's what we're starting to reflect. We may not be imaging God, but we're imaging something else. It's just how we are, right? We reflect the things that we we, we revere, right? We reflect the things we revere. That's just how we're made as humans. We don't even realize we maybe are doing it. But what is true about us? What is true about human beings? What's true about you and me? I think the first thing we need to understand, and this is core to my entire like, outlook in the world, is that you need to know that you are loved by God. Like, right now. The Bible tells us that, I mean, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, right? Even on the Simpsons, you see pictures of it at the stadium, right? John 3.16. People, I don't even know. It, it starts off with this. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God, it doesn't say, for God so loved the believers. For God so loved Christians. God so loved the world. That God loves you with a one-way, unconditional love that you can't earn or pay back or deserve. If we don't understand we're loved by God, then we are going to be striving for love in all the other places. Because I'm loved by God, that means that you have, and and that you're loved by God, that you have great value to God, and you have great worth, that you are valuable. You're so valuable to him, and he loves you so much that he was willing to let his son die for you. His son paid for you with his blood and his death, like Jesus came and died for you, and it brought him joy to do it. That's the value you have. God loves you. That's what's true. So this great, good, glorious God, who is love, is inviting us into a relationship with himself. A relationship of love. And as we trust and follow Jesus, trusting his definition of, of like what's good and evil, and his rule, trusting his way of living, um, for those that accept that imitation and trust Jesus, we're changed. We begin to be changed. We're invited into His family. What happens for those people that want that is that we're given a restored purpose, that God, through His Holy Spirit, begins to make us in a way that we can image God again, not perfectly, but we can do it. right? And so every aspect of our life, it's not like there's church. And then there's like my work. It's like I'm able to image God in my job, in my home, in my marriage, in my school, on my teams, whatever it may be. I'm able to have these moments where I'm communicating something about God to the people that I come in contact with. And so that gives everything we do meaning. It gives everything I do meaning. That means I can go to the store going like, God, what are you going to do? I might run into somebody and talk with somebody. Like, or I might like, how I take care of my lawn and my neighbor. I mean, there was a, it's like a totally... Side, okay. I had a neighbor across the street. He's probably no longer alive. He had roses on his front lawn. This lawn was old. He took great care of it. He had roses, tons of roses right on the corner. And I remember he was talking to me and he's like, he's like, you know, why I have these roses. And I'm like, no, he goes, because everybody wants to ask me about the roses. So I get to like talk to our neighbors and I get to tell them about things and I get to get to know our neighbors and I get to give them roses and I get to have interaction with our neighbors. This guy could barely walk. He's super old and he was not doing well health-wise. But those roses were a way for him to interact with his neighbors. Roses gave him purpose. Like that, that was part of him imaging Jesus to our neighborhood. He was a follower of Jesus. Like that's how he was able, like even something as simple as his lawn, right? So everything has meaning. We have a restored image and a restored purpose. But also, for those that trust Jesus in this way and for those that are trusting Jesus, we also have a renewed power that God's Spirit lives within us and enables us to do that, changing us, changing our desires, changing us from the inside out. There's a verse in Philippians 2.13, it says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I want you to think about this. God is working in you to will. What does that mean? Desire. Desire. I want to do this, right? God is working in you to give you good desires. And God is not only working in you to will, but He's working in you so you can do it. So He gives you the desire and the ability for what for his what good purpose. So we have this restored power that comes with. God working in us, this renewed power that changes us. So you're giving a new identity. You're no longer what you do. You're no longer how people perceive you. That's what comes with this, the Holy Spirit living with us and as we trust the way of God. But as I close in this, the beautiful thing about our new identity is that it is still based on action and perception, okay? We base our identity on on our actions and our perception. It's still based on that, but here's the beautiful part about it. This is where the good news plays a part in this story. Our identity is rooted in perception and our action, but the thing that has changed is it's now in Christ. It's God's perception of you based on Jesus' actions. You see, Jesus was the perfect image bearer of God. He did everything right all the time, and then he died for us. So what happens now is that we get credit for Jesus' perfection. And so my identity is now based on what Jesus has done, on his actions, which he's done everything, right? So your identity is based on action, but it's on Jesus' actions, and your identity is based on perception, but it's God's perception of how he sees you and how he sees you as he sees Jesus and all that he's done. And he's adopted us in, and we're his child. So you do, you are seen a certain way, but you're seen as God's child. And you are seen based on action, but it's on Jesus' action. And so because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, because he is the one that has done everything that pleases God, and he's paid for everything that we've ever done, we're able to walk in a place of freedom and fullness, not because I deserve it or earned it, but because Jesus did. And God sees me, he sees his son in everything that Jesus did. And so I can function from a place of fullness. I don't have to be out of lack, striving, like I just need to get worth. I, have, give, I am valuable to God and I can do good and I can function in health and give to others and all these things because it's been given to me. So as we close at our time, <coughs> time, <laughs> so we close at our time, worshiping can come up. We don't, we don't, ha- we don't earn it, we can't deserve it. It's simply given. And so for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this is something we need to be reminded of because even, I've been walking with Jesus, guys, for for, I don't know how long, 20 decades, okay, 30, I don't know, I don't know the exact moment that I started walking with Jesus, but there was some times in there, you know, it got a little weird, but Listen. (laughs) I've been walking with Jesus a long time, and I still forget the truths about God. I still try and take control. I still try to believe that something else is good and great, and I, 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 pers- I have to come back. These are things that we don't just do one time. We keep coming back to, right? I need to be reminded that I'm loved by God, that there's nothing more I can do to add to that. I have to be reminded of that. So as followers of Jesus, this is for us. But for those that maybe don't know Jesus haven't trusted him, like, this is for you too. You can trust him, and you can begin to see him change you. From the inside out. These truths are how we change. And it gets back to this that as we believe on truth and as we function on truth, we'll begin to be planted in a foundation that allows us to grow and allows us to flourish. So as we close out our